1: I also work with gender-questioning teenagers and I facilitated support meetings for families and individuals who have been impacted by gender issues.
0: We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture.
1: Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens.
0: Stoic Mom is a certified life coach and former classroom teacher who has some unique ideas about parenting and education. Like other moms whose lives have been altered when their teen suddenly adopts a trans identity, stoic mom initially determined to rescue her daughter from this dangerous ideology. She quickly realized that what she was up against was huge and she sunk into a desperate fear and rage. She had done all the things to try to get her daughter to desist. She even moved her family to a small town in a red state, but this backfired as gender identity theory was everywhere. Repeated failures at getting her daughter to desist left her feeling impotent and hopeless. Eventually, Stoic Mom had to accept that her approach was also taking a toll on her health and other relationships. To restore sanity and stability to her home, she'd need to find a better way. So she turned to her life coaching toolbox and decided to reframe what was happening to her daughter and to herself, knowing that she couldn't really control her daughter's experience Stoic mom decided instead she would take charge of her own. In addition to immersing herself in the study of attachment theory, conflict resolution and communication skills, Stoic mom focused on the gratitude that she felt for her family members healthy qualities. She grounded herself in her values and worked to let go of the focus on her daughter's outcomes. Earlier this year, in 2022, Stoic Mom launched a substack where she wrote about her approach and hoped other parents would find a bit of solace from the outrage culture. Stoic Mom also relaunched her coaching practice and now works one-on-one with parents who are interested in changing their inner world as a way to heal and grow through this destabilizing experience. Her 18-year-old daughter still identifies as transgender, but as you'll hear, Stoic Mom now recognizes that her child is on her own individuation process, and she's actually doing pretty great. Stoic Mom now expresses gratitude for this journey with her daughter and is using the process as inspiration to become a better human. Here's our conversation with Stoic Mom. Hi there, Sasha. Hi, Stella. I, i I'm really happy to have a guest on today. This is a, a person that I have been in contact with for some time and a stoic mom. We are so pleased to have you join the program. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited
2: for this opportunity. Thank you.
0: So you actually joined me recently. Um, Stella and I have all these projects we do outside the podcast, and we often forget to talk about them. But I have a, a membership site where I do a lot of parent coaching and monthly Q&As. And you joined me for one of the Q&As, which was really nice. I, I know, Stella, you have a subscribe, uh, a sub stack, sorry, where you write and do videos as well.
1: Uh, yeah, I yeah I've kind of a different style I suppose um to make sure that we're not replicating so I I just kind of give a presentation um, mm-hmm. on a monthly basis and I put in a lot of writing into the substack because I think people get different things from different th- you know different styles
0: yeah yeah but, you know? and stoic mom you you also are a parent coach and you write your own Substack and you have a podcast, so um, it was really nice when you joined our program. And I know today um, you you brought some quotes that might inspire us or kind of launch our conversation. Do you want to share a little bit about uh, what what you want to quote here?
2: Yes, I do want to just um, clarify. I don't call myself a parent coach. I feel like I could legitimately do that. I'm trained as a life coach. Um, But I want to be very careful about the type of coaching I do and what people, you know, the impression people get about that because I'm not, it's more about how you can change your inner world right? Rather than, you know, how you might parent your children. While I might Mm. make suggestions, um, I'm really trying to help parents tap into their own inner expertise and feel confident in that. So that's why I don't call myself a parent coach. Yeah,
0: that's actually the whole thesis of your work. You're (laughs) you're basically saying we need to stop trying to change our children and just work on ourselves. So you're, you're so right. Good catch there. Um, I've
1: written a few books on mental health and parenting. And, you know, at the start, everybody would introduce you always as parenting expert, parenting coach. And I go each time like, no, 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 that's not where I'm coming from. My my job is to make sure that parents kind of tap into their own instinct, you know, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. parent according to their own values and stuff. But it's easy to kind of get worn down when you've been introduced enough times. For example, calling me a psychologist when I'm not a
2: psychologist. <laughs> or a Jungian point. analyst, like I tried yeah, to make you it, before we started. <laughs> it
1: happens so often. I, at this stage, I, I, I don't defend the point is enough. I'm re-inspired. I'm going to be inspired. <laughs> okay.
2: um, so you asked about quotes, Sasha, and I have a couple in mind. One that I have been saying often is, it is no measure of health to be well-adapted to a sick society, right, or well-adjusted. I forget exactly what it is. I think it was said by Jiddu Krishnamurti, and I don't know if I'm saying that right. But I, I used to be a school teacher and I left education. And um, when I explain why, that's, that's why to me is that I feel like we're working really hard to force people into a sick society and we are starting to really see the effects of that. And personally I think, you know, transgenderism is just one more way that's presenting itself. Is is I think I think it's time for us to to take another look at how we do childhood and or at least look at what we're doing and recognize it's not working. You know, when when our range of normal seems to be getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And we, you know, have all these labels for these kids who don't function well in the current system. We really need, it's time to take a look at the system, right. And, and find a better way to do things. So, and, and just along that lines, another one of my very favorite quotes um, is Albert Einstein's quote about, I actually should have got these quotes ready so I can (laughs) quote them properly. But um, if you spend or if you try to force a fish or teach a fish to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life believing it is stupid. Right. And so I I had a conversation about this recently with um, a mom who helped her son like function in school right? Because he has autism and it was really challenging. And she put a lot of effort into that and is very proud of that and should be right. Like she helped him to adapt so he could be in this world and be seen in this world and function in this world. And, and I admire that. And, you know, where my mind went with that is, if the trees are diseased, like they are in this part of the world where I live, right? There's all this beetle kill, and it is quickly killing all the trees. I don't want to, you know, I, I, I want to know where these magical animals might lead us, right? Like, I don't want to force them to climb these diseased trees. I want to, um, I, I want them to be adaptable, right? And we don't really know what the future holds, And to me, like, that needs to be the goal of childhood. We need to be raising our children in a way that equips them, you know, where they they enter adulthood with the confidence that they can figure it out, right? We got this, we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this has come up a lot, you know, as certain authors and thinkers and psychologists and parents have been talking about, like, setting kids up for success in adulthood. And there have been several elements of, you know, society that we've seen over the last few decades that seem to hinder a kids ability to trust themselves and have faith in themselves and be adaptable and like, learn from the lessons of stumbling and falling down. Like I think the ability to fail at least comes up to mind for me. Do, do you have any particular kind of items that you're thinking about when you say that about like how we have set kids up uh, in a, a sick society? Like what comes to your mind?
2: Well, um, can I jump into the school system and the problems I see? Okay. <laughs> I'm getting nods. <laughs> yes. um, so it, it's actually no secret. If you look into the history of our education system, it's set up the way it is on purpose, right? And it is, it is a very coercive system. Right. It's it's set up in a very authoritarian structure. And the reason for that is because that was what the economy needed at that time, right? It was the industrial revolution and we needed workers who, as you pointed out, Sasha, weren't gonna make mistakes, right? So so we instill a certain set of values through our education system, one of them being that, that accuracy is very important, right? And so we punish mistakes. And of course that's gonna create a risk aversion in our children. Right. And so I, which is that, you know, they don't trust themselves anymore. Right. They're, they're in a system that um, they are being continuously judged and ranked. Right. The education system is judging and ranking us from the moment we enter it. (laughs) And if you go into college, you get four more years of that or eight more years of that. Right. And so we get really, really conditioned to, um, external behavior drivers. Does that make sense? And we start to doubt our own internal compass. So our education system does a really good job of disconnecting us from our intuition. So that's a lot of what's wrong with the system, right? (laughs) Um, And I I have some radical beliefs in this, and and I know that came up in the Q&A too when I visited Your group, Sasha, is I'm coming from a very different starting point. Yes, and 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 these, the time that I've spent like researching this and thinking about it has created a very different set of values for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I think we have really uh, done some damage by 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 distancing humans so far from our survival skills, right? There was a time when every human could build a structure to keep themselves sheltered, right? They knew how to keep themselves warm. They knew how to get food without going to the grocery store. And what we have created is a a worldwide culture of dependency on what I see as corrupt markets. (laughs) So, you know, that's,
1: yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I've, I've given it quite a lot of thought myself. And I kind of think over the last hundred years, something extraordinary has happened because a hundred years ago, the average child, as they're coming into teenagehood and adulthood, they'd look around the world and they'd be able to understand how it works. They could understand how the radio works, maybe. They could understand how various operations worked in their life. Mm -hmm. And then um, our own generation, you know, maybe 50 years ago or whatever, and we were starting to lose the thread of how things work. We could, Most people could kind of understand how a TV works or how a a car works, but I certainly wasn't too sure of it. And these days, I think, for the first generation ever, maybe in mankind, there isn't an understanding of how things work. And I think that gives us a feeling of chaos and slightly kind of who knows what's in charge? I get Wi-Fi, and if I press the button, I get it. And there isn't a kind of a, a chronological understanding that the average fifteen-year-old had uh, on his looking around his life a hundred years ago. And I think it's created a lot of uncertainty and kind of presumption that the 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 larger powers because you can't you can't immediately understand life anymore. So that complexity, I think, is really impacting
2: kids. Well, and I think. That then it makes sense that we're creating this dependency, yeah. right? And it, it's hard to not see how that serves the markets, right? Yeah. If if you if if you have to go to an expert to have anything done, it seems like right because nobody knows how to do anything. You you specialize yeah. in your one thing, and that's your thing, right? And I can see some beauty in that, and I do think we all bring our own unique gift. Um, but yes, things have we've made things so complex that it's inaccessible to people. And you know, how many kids can look at their dinner plate and have any idea how that food came to be on that plate? Totally. Right? I mean, it's Yeah,
0: that's interesting because they feel like there's a generational divide. Like I think what you're talking about, Stella, is even more true for those of us like in my generation or your generation or older generations, like our understanding of the new way that the world works is super, super vague. Mm. And young people, they get the coding. They understand how to build a network Mm -hmm. on the internet, but they have no idea how chicken got to the table. So it's like there's this, you know, the generations are changing in terms of like what each person understands and like who is dependent on whom for what type of information. That's very interesting to think about.
2: Well, and so my daughter, um, right about the time, um, that she and I (laughs) came to know that she had this gender identity, right? Like I know it's, we've Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. that story and how that came to be and it's, she didn't make a pronouncement, right? It wasn't like that. It wasn't a letter. Um, but In that period of time, I remember her expressing lots of hopelessness, right? Because our kids are also getting this message that the planet is completely ravaged. There's no hope, right? When they try to um, imagine what it looks like to be successful in this world, it's not attractive, right? Most of them are looking at their own parents thinking they're not happy. Why would I want to do that? You know, and so... There doesn't seem to be an attractive path into adulthood. You know, it's no wonder in my mind that they are um, adopting or, <laughs> or being diagnosed, right, with things that, that give them a way to need to be taken care of, if that makes sense, right? Like, I, I am not capable of being in this world if I have this, this label that says, I'm not capable, right? Then there's less responsibility on me. Somebody else is going to have to take care of me.
0: Yeah. So maybe you can talk a little bit. I I know there are probably some details that are totally fine to leave out, but just so our listeners have a sense, tell us a little bit about your daughter and her story. And then of course, how you came to be stoic mom.
2: Okay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So I think like most children in the system these days, it was starting to get hard and it was hard because from my perspective, she just wasn't interested in, in what she was learning at school. She was very interested in the world. She was interested in other things that she was very adept at teaching to herself. Right. I mean, this is one thing about the internet that, w- that has enriched our lives is she could go there and learn what she was interested in and, and, and I can tell you when she was really interested in something, she was very focused on it. And, you know, I, I think that is a natural human tendency, right? Like if you find something that is um, energizing you, you can spend hours and hours at that thing, right? And that's information, good information <clears throat> for maybe how you might want to participate in the world. So back, back to my daughter, though. I think she was developing this, you know, this very normal self-awareness as puberty was setting in and she was recognizing that school maybe wasn't all that fun, you know, and, but now she was concerned about her teachers where before, you know, I think she was just too young and there wasn't a lot of pressure. And so she just kind of floated through elementary school And now she cares, right? Like now she's got these relationships with these teachers. And this is a school where I taught. So all these teachers knew me too. So there was kind of even extra pressure there, I think, for her to step into, you know, what middle school was supposed to look like. And she just wasn't interested. And um, around this time, like I, I had already left teaching and I was, also forming my own thoughts about education. And she and I were actually bonding on this, right? This was something we shared, that something's wrong with the education system. There's got to be a better way. Um, That said, she was really loyal to this school. She'd been there. You know, we were founding members of the community, and she'd been there since first grade. And she was very proud of that identity, you know, of being a student in this school and... It had a bit of a quirky reputation, and so while I was saying we can do something different education-wise, she didn't want to leave the system. And then in eighth grade, it just was getting harder and harder, and um, we ended up taking her out of school, and it seemed like she wanted that at the time and. There was lots going on kind of in the home. My husband was nervous about this plan. He did not like this, and I knew I needed. I was going to need to work with him to help him be okay with this, right? Because in his mind, we have this eighth grade dropout, right? And I'm saying, well, actually, there's lots of different ways to get educated. It's going to be okay. We can figure it out. But her mental health, she'd been asking for support for a while. Again, like in my mind, it was her just... Um, struggling to make sense of why things were harder. And what she's seeing all around her is everybody getting diagnosed and getting medicated, right? So they can still continue in this system. And so when I wasn't getting on board with like getting her tested for ADHD or getting her a therapist, you know. Um, that's when i think things really started breaking down and so there was that was kind of all happening at the same time and that's when i was invited out by a friend who um basically let me know she outed my daughter to me <laughs> her her daughter was having a birthday party and she i guess thought i should know that on the guest list my daughter i had this other name and um was identifying as something else. But mind you, like this was all brand new to me at that point. Right. I, I didn't quite know how to make sense of the list. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. It seems like, you know, not important among all these other things that are going on in my home right now. (laughs) right? And so, um, I didn't, I didn't think that much about it during that conversation, but then I went home and I started researching Like, what's going on when a normal kid thinks they're transgender? And that's when I, you know, discovered the horror (laughs) of what was happening. And um, this is 2018. So Fourth Wave Now was out there. And that's where I saw these stories of estranged families. And I found out about the surgeries and the medicalization and it just all seemed mad to me, right? Like, this was just insanity, you know? I, I also gratefully discovered Lisa Marciano's um, parent guidance at that point. And it was like, oh my goodness, thank goodness, there's somebody sane out there. Like, is this mm-hmm. really happening? I can't, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't make sense of that. So, um, and, you know, as you know, Sasha, it was another year before my daughter and I were actually Communicating openly at all about it. She never uh, told us, right? She was just kind of grappling with this on her own and in her friend group and in her quirky school, where you can imagine this was pretty prominent. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been talking a lot. Should I keep going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of detail, right? So. I do have a question because yes. you had said she was an
1: eighth grade dropout. And by the way, I've seen loads of you know what's sort of similarities with my own family and the only, my child and my children's realization that life is grim, hitting very mm-hmm. hard, you know, between about 10 and 14, this kind of, oh, my God, people are kind of mean and mean-minded mm-hmm and hard and there's a lot of really nasty stuff that I think hits kids. Personally, I think it hits them very, very hard these days. I think they have more idyllic childhoods and they're not quite as prepared. Yes. Well, Mm -hmm. I would have had a rougher childhood, but I wasn't. I didn't fall from a cliff in disappointment. Right. Uh, I think a lot of them do uh, around that age. But I want to ask you, the, the, the eighth grade dropout, but now she's back in school. So did she go back to school or... Uh, she didn't so, drop out or I, d- I didn't know what happened there.
2: So she's okay. That's a great question. So from that point on, um, we did some, I called it world schooling, even though like we weren't leaving the country. Sometimes I call it adventure schooling. You know, it's just unschooling. Essentially life as school is what we did. My son finished out that year and then we did some of these sort of adventurous types of things. And then when we came back, my son, he ended up taking a semester off. And I was looking at alternative education approaches and uh, part of the self-directed world, right? So there's, there's some drama there too. So I won't go too, too deep into that. It's, it's, it's just very, it's, it's very much part of the, the current culture, Right, that, that but in terms has... of
0: timeline, right? So, like sh- the trans identity must have happened before eighth grade. Is that what timeline-wise?
2: So, yeah, good question. So, so a couple of things. One, my daughter has been known to overreport, right? So she's mm-hmm. one of those kids that diagnoses herself with lots of things, and um, if you ask her, she would say she discovered this about herself in fifth grade. Okay. She would also say she was the first among her friend group to come out which, you know, adds a layer of investment I think on her part, especially now that she's got friends that are medicalized, right? That that keeps her I think like I said invested, right? Because to back out would be to also have to look at that, I think, and maybe feel some responsibility there, which I hope she doesn't if she does, you know, find her way out of this. Um, so she would say, yeah, I mean, she would have been 10 and 11 around that time. And then the eighth grade stuff happened. We pulled her out of school. She wasn't talking to me about it. I know I've mentioned a wilderness program that she did, um, that maybe we should talk about that too. Cause I do have lots of thoughts of that and, and okay. about that. And I think it factors into my philosophy even now. Um, but I did encourage her through letters. We couldn't talk to her on the phone, but I had mentioned it to her therapist there. I encouraged the therapist and her to dig into it. And, and, and she didn't, she didn't want to, and, you know, the therapist would talk to us and say, no, she, she, I can't seem to get a conversation started about that. Um, when so we, what,
0: what prompted you to decide to, to do wilderness just to help parents kind of who may be in a similar boat, like what was that decision? Cause I, I know your story and I know you have some complicated feelings about it in hindsight.
2: Yeah. So, um, so we had some connections my husband and I both worked in wilderness therapy. That's how we met. And so when she was asking for therapy and she, there was one conversation where, um, you know, it was just a rough afternoon. She wouldn't go into this store. The family was out running some errands and she, she wouldn't go in. And I, (laughs) it was just weird, right? It was like a weird day. She was kind of like breaking down. Like, I can't, I can't go in and talk to the people in there. Right. And that's what it, it was about Where she couldn't even talk to the clerks in the store. And so, um, I was trying to like debrief this with her when we got home and she kind of just fell apart. And I'm like, what, what's happening right now? And she said something about therapy. Gosh, what was it? Cause, cause basically she's um, There was something about, I think I wanted her to maybe see the school therapist, and she was worried the therapist might tell us something. And I said, well, they can only really tell us things if there's some threat of self-harm or something like that. And she said, well, there is, right? So I had this moment of, oh, crap, right? Like, I'm chugging along, thinking, you know, I'm confident. I got this. We got this, right? And then she says this, and it's my confidence just dropped out. It was like, Oh, maybe I don't got this, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe this is bigger than what I can handle. And, and I've got my husband freaking out about my kid not being in school or our kid not being in school. Right. And, and he says, you know, what about wilderness? And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, she wants therapy. This is all This is $50,000 worth of therapy, which by the way, we didn't spend that right? because Mm -hmm. we had, you know what I mean? It was like, we knew people, there might be a way to get a good deal on this, which we did. Right. So, um, $50,000 worth of therapy in wilderness, right. Which I would feel better about. Because I could frame it as a rite of passage, right? She's going to be out. She's going to be developing skills. There's no way she can't come out the other side of this knowing she's a badass, right? Like that was my intention for it. It'll give my husband and myself time to get on the same page, right? Like just logistically, it seemed like a good fit. And, And basically, we kind of gave her the choice. You can go back to school or you can do this thing. And she wasn't choosing either one, so we made that choice for her. Just mm-hmm. for
1: people outside America, what is Wilderness Program? How long does it last? And what are the fairly the basics?
2: Right. And there are different versions of it. In this particular version, it's considered an intervention program for sp- some pretty severe behaviors, right? So families will put their children in these programs, and it's often just a gateway to a longer residential How long therapeutic be, program. It be, so it can vary. Longer. It can vary okay. from, and, and this was part of it that was so hard for me is the shortest term in this program was 28 days. And I figured they're not going to keep her longer than that because she's not they're not making money off of her, right mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so so we'll get her back in twenty eight days, but we didn't it was they kept her for three months, and yeah, and so this was also a very immersive program, right, a little different than when my husband and I did it when we were in it, like there were no tents, kids built their own shelters, you know, they learned wilderness survival skills, and they were used as metaphors, and it could be really empowering you know something that has changed you know for me is there's a couple things it's coercive and i am i just have an aversion to coercive right i think we need to stop conditioning our kids for coercion so um it, so it's it's just punitive right it, it feels punitive much of the time i was hoping i could reframe it for her i was hoping the therapist would work with us to make it a rite of passage versus you know, this punitive approach and, and it didn't work that way. And my other, the other reason I would really caution or just really think it through, if you're thinking something like this is what it communicates. Like in the nights when I was trying to go to bed and I felt like I was having panic attacks while she was away, you know, I was, I was thinking about the story she was telling herself. Right. Mm. And comparing herself to the other kids that were in there and wondering why in the world her parents would think this was what she needed. And and what I would have liked to have communicated. Right. Like I would have liked to have held my confidence in that mo- moment where she told me about self-harm so mm. that I could communicate to her that we got this. Right. Like that's what I think we really need to look at empowering families to communicate that to their kids. We got this. We will figure this out. Right. We got you, you got this. Does that make sense? Like just a confidence in that family unit I think is, is where we need to focus because I worry that it, it, it damaged our attachment, right? Like it broke trust and communicated to her that maybe I didn't know what I was doing as her mom.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast we work very hard to maintain high-quality content for this show, and we're grateful to Rhyme and Genspect for supporting us.
1: Rhyme, or Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit RethinkIME.org to learn more.
0: And Genspect is an international alliance of parents and professional groups whose aim is to advocate for parents of gender-questioning children and young people. If you'd like to become a
1: patron, you'll have access to weekly transcripts and special Q&As, and you can join our listener
0: community. Now back to the show. It's so difficult because to stick with your point for a minute, like what's coming up for me is this idea that as your parent, you're out of control. I don't know how to handle you. You need really special intervention which unfortunately almost validates this tendency a lot of young people have today, which is to be obsessed with self-diagnosis and what's wrong with me and so on. And I I hear your story. And a lot of times when I'm consulting with families, I say, be careful about the attachment. If, If there's an attachment issue woven into this identity question, then you do have to be really, really mindful about what happens next. And on the other hand, I mean, I have seen like sometimes what's going on with the kid is so chaotic and so disruptive that sending them for a little bit of a break in some types of therapeutic boarding programs is actually very healing. It gives everybody a little bit of space. Maybe they work very, very well with the parents to keep them super involved and helps the child, uh, you know, get out of their little bubble sometimes. So I know that there are lots of different experiences here, but I I really hear what you're saying about the attachment piece. That's really big.
2: And I can appreciate what you're saying. And I know there comes a point in some houses where it's dangerous for the child to stay there. Right. Um, Or where there does need to be a separation between parents and kids. And so parents can kind of pull it together and be able to handle the situation. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I just would. I, <laughs> one thing she said to me is if it if it would have been outward bound or something, you know, mm-hmm. something different, something more leadership based or, you know, and, and I agree with her. And if we could have, you know, if we had had the resources to do something different, you know, we would have. And I know that that's a factor, too. You yeah. know, we have to look at what we can actually afford or. You know, yeah, what are the resources there? And so I try to have self-compassion, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I guess I'm curious cuz you asked for people who aren't in America. Do you guys not in in Ireland, for example, do you guys have any programs like this where it's like a, a, an outdoor kind of nature-based, like learning outdoor skills. I mean, these are all very different programs. Like Outward Bound is a different program from, I think, what you're saying, Stoic Mom. But is there no v- a version of that that you know of? No, there is the odd
1: forest school and there's the odd, very few of them uh, outdoors kind of schools that, you know, you are outdoors. I do think it's a very different culture. And so it's not such a jump. I think there would be a lot more connection to the land, an awful lot of my kids' uh friends would be farmers' kids and they're, they're, it's closer to the land it's not as disconnected, so I don't see the need as as huge and I think it it's coming, <laughs> but I'd say it's ten years from now is my feeling hmm.
0: so so she's gone for three months, and then what so we
2: well she she didn't really complete the program, right? Okay. Like she got there, and you know, they, it, you work through the different stages of the program, and she just kind of shut down, right? And so now I'm in this pickle of, ooh, you know, we don't want the program to be a failure, right? Because again, that sends the opposite message of you're a badass, which mm. is what I wanted her to get out of it. And so, um, Eventually, they just facilitated her graduation. If that makes sense, right? Like we're gonna we're gonna make this as much of a success as possible, and and um and she, you know, she seemed she seemed good when we got there. The parents go and spend a night, and I don't know. It just was weird. It felt so. Um, I just felt this huge gap now between us. Right. Yeah. And there was one night in the hotel where her dad and her brother weren't there. And I brought this, uh, I brought up the identity thing. I just brought up the other name. I don't think I even ever said the name out loud to her, but I just said, you know, I just kind of want to know where you are on this. And she said, it's not a thing. You know, she, basically, she, she was saying, that's, it's not a thing. Drop it basically Mm -hmm. is what she was saying. And so, you know, like I said, in the Q and a, I gladly dropped it. I wanted Mm -hmm. it to be dropped and I dropped it. (laughs) (laughs) And it was another year of actually she was unschooling. Um, and, and we made a move at that point too. I just wanted her to have more access. And so we moved, from, like, the suburbs into downtown. It was a very lively downtown where we lived. There was lots of things to do down there. And she had a skateboard, and, you know, she could get around that way because at this point she was 14, and so there wasn't, you know, she couldn't drive herself anywhere. Um, and there was, like, it, I just realized she didn't have any breasts, right? Her She was tall and lanky and... Flat, and I knew I had to get real right like she's binding and that terrified me and so I was thinking I got to get her out of that binder and I picked her up from hanging out with some friends one night and I, I, I brought it up again because they said later bro as she got in the car and I just said do your friends still use that boy name with you and she said yes. And we just had the conversation. But what was interesting about the conversation is she wasn't really saying anything. Like I had to say it and um, she would confirm it. That's so interesting. Yes. And she told me in that conversation, I never would have told you. But she also expressed gratitude. Like, I'm so glad you brought it up, you know? And, and we kind of ended that with, Um, we had a, a, we were going to go buy her a sewing machine the next day and we were going to have to drive, you know, about 45 minutes to get it. And I said, let's continue this conversation tomorrow. I would imagine, you know, now probably the best thing we can do is look for a therapist. At that point, I didn't realize, you know, how much (laughs) therapy had been captured either. I think, you know, I didn't think Mm -hmm. it would be as hard at that point to find somebody. Um, but I've had pretty good luck with that too. I've screened pretty carefully. still even therapy at this point, I would not have put her in one-on-one therapy if I were going to go back and do it again.
0: In the the introduction that, that we shared before the start of our conversation, you said like, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to make my kid desist. And then I realized it wasn't working. This conversation in the car about the boy name and her friends and you know, when you were thinking about binding, was that an example of you like trying to make her desist or had you already shifted into like a better place at that point?
2: Uh, no, this would be the start of the, no, um, I had not shifted, but I did know because I had done the research before how carefully I was going to need to navigate this part. Okay. Right. And so that question or that conversation went, I think as well as could be expected. I wasn't trying to be persuasive. I was just asking questions, mm-hmm. but I was also glad we didn't have a lot of time that night and I could like uh, formulate a plan, right. And, and calm myself down. I didn't get, I don't think I got escalated in that conversation at all. You know, I just was saying, I'm going to need some time to wrap my head around this. You know, I was, I was buying time and I was asking Mm. questions and the next day, same thing, right? Like, even though I went to bed that night, freaking out, right. (laughs) The next day on that ride, we had a fabulous conversation, you know, and Mm. I was asking lots of questions And at one point I brought up the binder. She seemed surprised that I would even know what that meant, you know. And she said a friend had bought it for her like a year and a half earlier. (laughs) Um, And I never got her out of the binder, you know. So that didn't happen. And it's one of those moments where I wonder, had I just never pushed her to tell me? Would she have just continued to explore and maybe let it go on her own? But i I did push it. She did tell me, we spent a few days, and I can tell you, every time we were together, it was incredibly bonding, right? We were having good mm. conversations. I think I was asking good questions, and then I would go get online, and I would you know, I would spiral. <laughs> and after a few days of that, like there was one point, she said, Uh, I think I I expressed appreciation for her being open and willing to talk to me about it, right? And she was like, oh, well, thank you, you know. I'm just grateful you haven't kicked me out of the house. (laughs) Which I'm just, that she would even think that astonished me, that that was a possibility. But as we all know now, right, like that's the narrative they're getting. And she gave me the quote of like 40% of, you know. Trans-identified kids get kicked out of the house. And could I just lean on something there? You said because it kind of uh, it sparked
1: something in me, which is I suppose I've I've worked an awful lot in addiction back in the day a lot, and you know so many people who are addicts wondered like when they were twenty, had I not done that and had I done that, would I have not gone so deep for the next fifteen years? Or Mm -hmm. when I went to that place in Greece, I could have got off the train, but I didn't get off the train because this happened. And parents often think the very same around, let's say, anorexia. If I had not just pushed it that far. And I've never, ever come to any sort of conclusive (laughs) realisation around that. I've never heard somebody really argue that we know whether there is a, a, a two roads diverge in the wood that we could have taken another fight,
2: you know? It's funny because I, I have a piece on my substack stack that I call pivotal moments. Right. And I start out writing the piece kind of with that in mind, as far as, you know, giving parents a heads up, right. These are some, these are some points. I can't go back and redo it. Right. But maybe you can use my okay. experience to make different choices, but it's funny. So part of, Stoicism as I see it is reframing, right? And, and if, if you follow Stoic Mom, like people who read my stuff probably see it in my work all the time. I will start off <laughs> thinking I'm writing about one thing and I end up reframing it in the piece and ending up in a very different place, which I do in that one. And I end up in a place of gratitude, right? Because I, I loved that year of adventures, And I did some blogging during that time and I can look back at some of the insights I had that year and just, I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful for what I learned about my kids and myself and some of the special moments we had. Maybe we wouldn't have had that. Yeah. Had she, you know, had I, had I figured it out sooner and, you know, stopped this journey from taking the course that it has, you Mm. know, and there's, and I can do that. All along the way, you know, like I have had so much growth, you know, out of this, like it really, I am a different person. I don't like to say different person. I am a, Mm -hmm. and it maybe might sound a little, um, (sighs) high for me to say like I'm a more evolved person. I feel like I am a more evolved person now, yes, than I was at the beginning. I was a life coach when this started, right? I knew I had I had lots of tools in my toolbox, but I think I really needed to test those tools. So I'm a big fan of making meaning. Right? Like when I make meaning out of this, my daughter was bringing me the opportunity to walk my talk. Yeah, right.
0: You, you touched on this a few moments ago, you said, you know, I would go online and I would do the research and I'd go down the rabbit hole or you use some kind of phrase. And I'd like to ask your thoughts on this, maybe from a personal perspective, like how this has landed on you. But then also, as you work with parents, what do you think of this fine balance parents sometimes are walking between, like I become an activist for ROGD related stuff as a parent versus I need to keep my own sanity and stay present with where my kid is at. And sometimes, in my experience, there can be a tension with those two things. It can be really hard for some parents. And then, again, I understand why activism and becoming like this fighter is an important part of cer- certain parents' processes. But it, I just find it's very tricky. So just can you share some thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I have lots of them. Um what comes to mind as you're talking about that is impotence, right? So, I that is that is something I cannot tolerate, right? If I find myself in a situation that I feel impotent to change, that is a dark, dark place for me, right? And so, I will find a way to engage in it where I don't feel so helpless. And so, that was. That was a big part of, you know, like after she and I started talking about it, and and um, kind of the state that I was in, right? Where sometimes I could maintain around her, and sometimes I just I couldn't. And I, I, to to describe how helpless it feels when you've got a kid that's caught up in this, and knowing how little you can do about it. I do think it's important to find something that you feel you can be effective at. Right. And so if this, if like engaging with the school board or whatever is, is going to give you that, um, sense of, um, uh, competence, right. (laughs) Or, you know, this is somewhere where I can make a difference. I think that's very valuable. I think it's really important to find something that you feel you can accomplish. Um, that said, like, I just, That, you know, and and I I think it's important that I keep making sure people understand I'm not engaged in those systems in the same way. So, Stella, you asked if my kid went back to school. She never did. She never went back to um, a a, a traditional education environment. Yeah. And so I she did go into an environment, though, that was quite woke still. Right. Like her facilitators there were still very much on board with this whole narrative about in- inclusivity and, you know, affirming. And they all, you know, pretended she was a boy while she is was there.
1: Kind of, when you say there, what, are, what
2: is there? Um, do you mean um, uh, some sort of world school, homeschool thing? Or oh, right. Place? Yes. Right. Yes. So we ended up moving. Yeah. Right. So I did do I did all the things. Right? Like mm-hmm. I, I did the world schooling. I did the wilderness. I, I moved it. But my that's why like your,
1: your story is so important because you did it all and you're kind of coming back with reports. Yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> well, and it all just seemed to backfire <laughs> as far as like getting my child to desist, right? Like that goal did not get accomplished with all of those things. Right. And so, yes, we ended up moving to another state and she attended a learning center that was very different than a traditional school. Um, yeah, I lost my train of thought a little bit there. Where was I going with that? Um where were we? <laughs> well, 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 I'm I'm interested
1: because you say you, you didn't get her to desist, and I suppose that's the end, end project, but you could say that about so many other mental health people who've really suffered. Mothers of, you know, really people who've really had really severe mental health and they didn't get the person out of the condition. And can they ever, you know?
0: Yeah. But but I, I have observed over and over again, the long-term outcome may not be visible right now. No. You might have created a lot of stabilization. Yeah.
2: Or destabilization, which,
0: which, I you know, that was yeah. part of the
2: world schooling for me. Like, you know, Stella was saying earlier, to shake it up a little bit. I sometimes think kids need things to adapt to. I'm going for adaptability, yeah, right? yeah, not yeah. necessarily stability. Oh, and what I want point. to be stable in my daughter's life is her family, right? So, and I want her to see, look at us, we'll figure it out, right? Look at all these different things we can do. We will always figure it out, right? And, and I remember kind of how we went down this path. We were talking about. Feeling um, competent at something, right? Feeling like we can affect change because you know learned helplessness is real, and this is what a lot of our kids are experiencing, and I think families are going through this in this situation. This sense of there is nothing I can do, right? And so, and, and Sasha asked a very important
1: question, which is the kind of the the very uneasy issue of uh, parents, be, understandably and justifiably, becoming very politicized. When there's an actual emotional tragedy happening in their own home, and I get it, but it can feel like it's a it's a way it's a coping mechanism, and it mm-hmm. could be somewhere mm-hmm. where we can retreat into and escape from the distress. And I get it, but it's an issue.
2: Well, and it it was another area where I just felt impotent, right? So I knew I couldn't participate in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so. This is what led me really to stoic ideas, which a lot of them were already in my life coaching toolbox, right? Like I didn't realize stoicism was this practice, right? We all have this idea of, of stoic being, you know, no emotions, you know, and, and, and that's not really what it is. It's, it is a certain set of practices that require you to recognize what you have control over, Right And focus on that it's I like to think of it as um, changing my experience of the world by changing my inner world, right like this was something I had control over. you know it kind of hit me. the best thing I can do for my daughter is model womanhood in a way that might be attractive, right because I was also recognizing that like. I'm a mess. I am an angry, (laughs) bitter, impotent mess. And that can't make who's going to want to be that. Right. I'm not making this look attractive at all. I need to get my, my shit (laughs) together. Right. Yeah. And, and that was really the inspiration for me to really dig into that inner work you know, and it was an opportunity again to like, I could understand all of this stuff intellectually, but was I really practicing? I thought I was, you know, until my daughter brought this to me. And then I realized, oh, okay, this is what practice looks like. It's going to, it's, it's harder, right? It's, it's effortful. It takes mindfulness. It takes consciousness. You know, I thought I was a good communicator. Yeah. I can, I, I articulate concepts well, right? I can abstract, you know, intensely all day, <laughs> but, but can I listen, right? Can I ensure that my child feels seen and heard, right? And so then I started digging into that, like communication skills and attachment and, and that plus, you know, things that I think are just ancient wisdom, you know, are what helped me get back on solid ground. So really when I'm, when I'm working with parents, that's, that's what I'm trying to get them to like, let's get you back on solid ground. This is an incredibly destabilizing circumstance. And the work we need to do is to get you on solid ground so that you have faith in yourself. Right. Mm. Yeah.
1: In many ways, it kind of reminds me, I, I was involved in setting up the GDSN, the Gender Dysphoria Support Network, and it was mimicked on Al-Anon, which is really kind of where you're at insofar as AA, the person is in distress, but Al-Anon is the families who have to look to themselves. Mm-hmm. And they, by the way, obviously, the serenity prayer is very centred. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. where it's all from. And so it's very much, you've got to look to yourself for your own your own nourishment and if you keep on looking outwards you will lose yourself you have no choice but to look to yourself on some level it's 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 very liberating but also very frightening
2: you know I've started I'm considering I'm even testing it in some places calling myself an individuation coach because I feel like that's the work These moms are doing. You know, we talk about these teenagers individuating, but it seems like the Union concept of that happens more in middle age. It really is about individuating from cultural values, right? From again those external behavior drivers and getting really tuned into your own intuition, right? Which is also part of the work that I was doing. And it was work that I was craving before my daughter. Brought this into my home, right? Like I was so ready and so searching for how to be better in tune with myself. And she invited me to to figure it out, right? Like she invited me into my own healing journey, which I think we all have to go on. Every human on this planet right now, right? At least in, in, you know, Western cultures, we have to do that individuation work I think to to our own wholeness and so you know that's the work too I think it's a healing journey your kids bringing you this work what are you going to do with it you can't fix your kid your kid doesn't need fixing honestly your kid is just a normal human doing the best they can to adapt to a really unhealthy culture they're just doing the best they can right so let's model how to heal right let's model how to how to take on that inside job and I think, you know, that's where I felt like I could be um, competent, right? <laughs> that's like, yeah. I can fix me. I can't fix yeah. her. I can fix me. I can model what it's like to move through something this hard, right? Life is going to be this hard sometimes. And, and what are you going to do? You know, that's what stoicism is about. It's, it's, it's. Taking charge of how you respond to things instead of the world happening to you, right? Instead of being a victim of circumstances, it's taking charge of how you respond. And you truly can change your experience. I'm having a very different experience right now. I'm still hanging out in this tragic space, but tragedy is not what's going on in my home. You know, in fact, I would say, my kids are doing well, right? Like that came up too in the Q&A. My daughter's still mm-hmm. trans-identified. And I think she's doing great. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, what I'm hoping I've equipped her with is, you know, I have faith in you. You'll figure this out. And I'm here. And I'd love to support you to figure it out. But, you know, that's something else in the way that I parent is I, I ask consent first. Do you want my support with this? And if she says no, I say, Okay, <laughs> you got it. I trust you. How old you.
0: is your daughter again? Just for the She's listeners? eighteen now. She's eighteen, yeah. So she's at this age where, even developmentally, this is a very important message to get across. Like, I'm here to support you. I've I've shared some of my concerns, but I have to trust that you will figure this out. And that's very challenging. But it you know, I'm reminded of something that you said recently about how Some parents believe that they are not deserving of joy or happiness if their kid is still stuck here or if their kid is transitioning or if their kid's identity is in crisis. Like, and you you say, no, I don't believe that. I believe that you still deserve to have, I mean, I'll let you say it. Can you just elaborate on that point a bit?
2: Yeah. um, Also, I want to bring it back to modeling again. You know, we keep telling our trans ID kids not to place all their happiness on how others perceive them, right? Because that's not in their control. And so when you've got an adult child, they're not in your control. Are you going to rest all your happiness on that other person's experience? And what do they need you to model for them? You know, so... What I want to model for my child is resilience, adaptability.
0: Yeah. Well, if people are interested in reading more about your perspective or getting in touch with you, is there somewhere particular we can send them?
2: Yes. So you can find all of my articles and podcasts are on my Substack. So it's stoicmom.substack.com. Yeah. I'm wanting to launch a content piece that I'm also going to turn into an interactive content piece on my Substack, So I'm excited about that. I'm in the process of doing that. I'm also in the process of, um, like my coaching practice is full right now, but I think I might be able to open up a few spaces shortly, but I'm going to change what my onboarding process looks like. But uh, Um, And I think it's going to include that content piece. So I just, I have some fun things. I feel like in the works that I'm hoping to launch soon. I don't know. It'll probably be after this publishes. I'm not sure when this will publish, but. um, Well, we
0: have several weeks we record and then publish a couple weeks later. So why don't you just keep us posted and we'll update the show notes with any new offerings that you have for parents. Okay. I will do that. (laughs) It was really lovely to talk to you and we're, we're grateful to hear your perspective, because having some sense of competence and hope during this process is so crucial. And we really love being able to present that to parents who are listening. So thank you.
2: It has been my pleasure. Seriously, I appreciate this opportunity to share this other way, right? I know it's not going to be everybody's way. But you know, I, I do feel like it's attracting people who are ready for something different. And I I appreciate this opportunity to share it with more people. So thank you. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Thanks for joining us this week on gender, a wider lens. This podcast is sponsored by rhyme and genspect and listener support means a lot to us. The best way to help is to subscribe and review us on iTunes, follow us on social media.
1: And if you'd like to become a patron, You'll have access to weekly transcripts of the show, special Q&As, and you can join our listener community. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash widerlenspod.
0: Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.